0: Trinity, it's good to be here with you today. My name is Bill Bourne. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I have an update from Doug Baker, our interim lead pastor. He's two weeks into uh, a knee replacement surgery, and he reports that uh, he's progressing fine. Um, He's a little bit over 90% bending that knee. I'm sure that hurts a lot. Um, But he says he's being well cared for, and um, he's excited to get back with us in a couple of weeks. But uh, for now, uh, we're spending some time in a sermon series called Called, and uh, we're looking at discipleship. And this morning, um, I, I realized, Dennis, you kind of nailed what we're talking about. How is, what is the role of the church in discipleship, is what we're going to be looking at. So I love oak trees. And uh, I dug this one up out on, off of Reservoir Road. We have a couple on our campus and what fascinates me about oak trees is that they start with something like this. And then when, those, when this gets planted in the soil, they become this. And over time, we've got that. And they're just this beautiful picture of, of uh, majesty, right? Of just the massive size of the trunk and the branches and the huge canopy and, and it's this picture of maturity that happens over this slow, long process, right? That tree must be at least 100 years old. I was thinking about these things uh, back when we had our mica house back to school jam, and I was walking along with my daughter, and we saw this tree, and I just had to take a picture of it because this is the oak. This is the oak tree, just such a beautiful picture And um, the beauty of that, the reason I was thinking about it is I was thinking about discipleship and the prophet Isaiah is talking about the coming Messiah and his ministry in Isaiah 61. And he says that that Jesus is going to come doing these things so that the people of God might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified and i've always loved that picture i've loved oak trees ever since my wife and i moved to redlands and we're riding our bike up alvarado and buena vista just you know and the oak trees are just touching in the middle of the street and it's it's this beautiful picture though that god uses to declare his purpose for his church through messiah jesus and and luke the gospel writer luke when he's recording Jesus' story, we know he starts with his birth, but when he he brings us to the moment where Jesus begins his ministry, he takes us to the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, the first ministry that Jesus is about to do. It says he's in his synagogue. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah. He opens it up to this passage, and he begins to read that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has sent me to proclaim good news to the poor and release uh, the, of captives and freedom for prisoners, and, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus, Luke tells us Jesus sat down, and the whole synagogue was, was silent, in awe. And he says this: "Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing." And people were in awe of who He was and other people started doubting, and that day didn't go so well. And so Luke wants to show us that this is Messiah. He claimed to be Messiah, but not everybody's going to follow him. So he starts his passage that way, with this beautiful passage. And he didn't get to this part, but you know that Jesus knew, this is what I've come to do, is to bring my righteousness to the people so that they would be oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, all people, Jews and Gentiles, becoming one in Christ. And so that is the mystery of the gospel that the apostles talked about. So Jesus' self-stated purpose was proclaiming the good news. That's what we talked about last week, the gospel. And the good news of Jesus applied to our lives through the Holy Spirit. When we hear it and believe it, we talked last week, we, we repent right? We change directions. We repent of our sins. We're forgiven through Christ. We believe, and then we choose to follow him. And one of the things we talked about is that the choice to follow him is not just a one-time decision, but it's a daily walk with Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about this week. But here's something that's important. We become a planting of the Lord and while a believer's life, when we think about discipleship, is to bear fruit, something we want to produce something good out of our lives, what this tells us is that the most, the foundational purpose of discipleship is worship, right? That we might glorify him. And we can't ever forget that that is the, the chief end of discipleship, is the glory of God through his people, and what Jesus is doing in our lives. So we've identified at Trinity four main areas that that embody this disciple's pursuit. And today we're gonna look at the first two on the left side that we are called into the fellowship and we're called to be like Jesus. And that's the oak tree in the background. This is what we're calling a discipleship target. It's a vision for what we're aiming at at Trinity, the kind of disciples that we ought to be and that we ought to be making at Trinity Church. So before we lean into this, let's pray together, and then we will. Heavenly Father, I praise you uh, for your people gathered here today in your name, for the beauty of the praises that were uh, just resounding in this place uh, just a few minutes ago. Uh, just proclaiming, Jesus, our Lord, you are worthy of all praise. And so, God, when we're looking today at discipleship, we we pray that that would be the outcome, that you would be praised through what's happening in our lives and through our lives and through Trinity Church into this community, into the world. God, we want you to be praised even more, more every day as we look to you. And so, God, we want to hear from you today. I pray as we, we're just going to be touching the surface of some foundational things, would your spirit take those things and just drive them deeply into our hearts and lives over the course of the week. But Lord, start the work in us today. Continue that work in Jesus' name. Amen. So when the apostle Paul opens his letter to the Corinthians, he uses the word called three times in just his opening. And we've we've talked about how when the apostles use the word called, they're talking about discipleship. Right? The gospel call is what we respond to and we become a disciple or a follower of Jesus. So when they use the word called, they're not only talking about that moment, but they're talking about that day by day walk with Jesus. And so we're going to look we're going to jump off with Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's going to write this letter to this church that needs a lot of correcting. And before he does that, he wants them to know a few things, right? He wants to cushion this with the truth of who they are and of the hope that they have. And so he's going to introduce himself saying, I'm called to be an apostle. This is my personal, unique calling. And I'm writing this because this is my calling and you're in, to you And then he says this, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he continues to lay out what we're going to call branch one. He's going to bring us to this place where we see that believers are called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So those who have turned to Jesus, believed and followed, have now entered into something wonderful. So let's keep reading at four, and now we have the uh, verse on, on the screens as well. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so last week, we ended the message uh, talking about that our call to follow Jesus isn't just this one-time decision. It is a one-time decision that is really important right, the repenting and turning to Jesus, everything changes in our life. But it, 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 it continues throughout our life. And what Paul's writing about here is he's given the Corinthians assurance that what has begun, God is going to complete, right? He says, he will sustain you to the end. He will sustain you. He is faithful. Even from the moment we believe, which he refers to in verse 6, right, he says, when the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, that's that moment. They stepped into the kingdom. And he says, all the way until the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we just sang about, right? When he shall come with trumpet sound, may I then in him be found faultless to stand before the throne, dressed in his righteousness alone. That's what he's saying, that you'll be guiltless in that day because we're dressed in Christ's righteousness and so he's given us this grace of God in Christ Jesus, and he says we've given everything we need in the, in the community of believers. When he talks about you have every gift, we know what Paul's gonna talk about at the end of Corinthians. The gifts are the gifts that he's given you. And so I want you to look around, because uh, look around in this room at the people sitting next to you and behind you and in front of you. That's how God has given you everything you need not only in Christ, but in his people. You have the gifts that that are needed for maturing in the journey with Jesus. So believers are called into the fellowship, and this is our first branch. It's incredibly unique because it's based on a relationship with God, but also with God's people. And so there are these two parts of being called into the fellowship. And we're going to look at both briefly here before we uh, keep moving along. So first, the use of the article by Paul he says we've, I, we've been called into the fellowship indicates we're called into something that already exists. And I, that's the fellowship that God has within himself. It's a mystery, right? The father, the son and the Holy Spirit, that we're invited into that fellowship, and it's a fellowship that's based on love. We're invited into that love, and Jesus is going to talk about that a lot to his disciples. So um, the NIV translation actually drops the article to emphasize that we've been called into fellowship with Christ, because the most important thing for us to understand is that We've been called into a relationship with God through Jesus. And and the author, Paul, uses a word for fellowship in Greek called koinonia. Have you heard that word before? Yes. Yes. It's, It's a word that the Greeks used for the marriage relationship. This is the most intimate relationship, and that's how they use that word. And the apostles began to use that word about us that we've been called into that kind of intimate relationship with God and with each other. That's amazing. The word koinonia has a history at Trinity, right? We used to call our, our home groups koinonia groups. How many of you have been a part of a koinonia group? Let's see it, all right? Look at that. So this is what Trinity Church was going after from the beginning, right? Koinonia, our fellowship groups, we wanted burden bearing, significant fellowship to happen in this church because we knew that's critical to our growth and to the church's growth. And so this word means here's a, a definition close association involving mutual interests and sharing, communion, fellowship, close relationship. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God wants for us, with him first. Every one of our four branches of discipleship is going to be taught by Jesus in his upper room discourse. That is, that is the, the moment where Jesus is teaching his disciples right before he goes to the cross. It's found in John 13 to 17. Every one of our branches is found there because these are significant to Jesus, and He wants His followers to know this is important. And so, uh, you could call the Upper Room Discourse Jesus Discipleship Manual. You want to know what what our lives should be about? Start reading in John 13, and we'll see those things that are critically important. So, in John 14:23, Jesus says this: "If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him." and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's fellowship. That's God himself. That's Jesus saying, we're going to come, and we're going to actually dwell with, we're going to live with my people. I'm going to live with you and in you, he's going to say elsewhere. This is way beyond religious zeal or practice, right? It's an invitation into a relationship with God where we get to know and love him and be known and loved by him. It's a two-way street. If you looked at our passage, if anyone loves me, he says, he'll keep my word. So there is a part that we get to not only receive but give back to God. Love for him. It's the greatest commandment, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. A synonym for the word fellowship is communion. So what we've been called into is communion with God. Would you characterize your experience with God as one of intimate closeness? Or at least maybe that you're on that path of growing closer to God? Because if if you're not, if that's not what characterizes your relationship, you're missing the very heartbeat of God for his followers. He wants that closeness. This is what he wants. Every follower of Jesus I know wants the same thing. I look out here, I, I see you. I know this is your, your heart's passion is to know Jesus. But even very religious people can miss it. And they did in Jesus' time, big time. The Apostle Paul was one of those guys. By the world's standards, the Apostle Paul was a superstar religious hero. He was the head of the class. And he said that. He said, I was in the, the best school of the, I was the best Pharisee I could be, right? And he, this was something he gave his whole life to. But this passage in Philippians 3, when Jesus came, when Paul came to Jesus, everything changed. And I want you to see this. This is Paul in Philippians 3, verse 7. Talking about his accomplishments as a religious Pharisee, he says this Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul elevates knowing God to the highest place, and it's because Jesus did. I remember as a young Christian, I was in high school, and Philippians became this kind of first book of the Bible that I started to sense Jesus was talking to me through it. Just beautiful pieces. Maybe the first piece was about the peace that surpasses understanding. But I remember just being captured by the heart of Paul who who said, this is what's most important to me. Everything else is lost. It's rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So this is critical about this branch of discipleship. The Christian life, it's in your notes, is birthed and it's nourished by one main thing, knowing God. The heartbeat of a follower of Jesus is to know him. And if that is not the central thing, the tree of discipleship is not going to work. It's going to break down somewhere. And uh, that's why we're calling this our first branch. So the call to eternal life was a call to know God. And Jesus, in John 17, prayed this. When you want to know what's important to Jesus, you look at John 17. That is his prayer for his disciples. It really is the Lord's Prayer. And he prayed right off the get-go in verse three, and this is not in your notes, so you might want to write this down. It's John 17, three. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So Jesus said, this is what everything is about that I'm about to do on the cross. It's about knowing you, and, and, and my people knowing me, God. I want you to look at the oak tree. What's the first branch of that oak tree? And if you need a little hint, look at this little one that I dug up today on our property. What's the first branch of an oak tree? It's that that trunk, isn't it? Every branch grows off of that trunk. And if you look at this one, you can kind of see... You know, it's, it's weird because it kind of just goes where it goes. But, you know, maybe that one that keeps going straight up, you know, was that first branch. Folks, in our lives, the desire to know God has to be the first branch of our oak tree. This oak of righteousness, all the other branches are sustained and are stable because they're growing off of this branch. An example from my own life where I maybe didn't get this right, because we're going to talk about the second branch, right, called to be like Jesus, is in my parenting. And I remember I was reading a book called Awe by Paul David Tripp, Awe, A-W-E, and he challenged parents to say, if you're not parenting with an awe of God, right, the worship of God as your main thing, then good luck for your kids. And this is what I realized. I was convicted by that because I realized I am parenting with the supreme goal that my kids would be good people. I was parenting for morality. Is that a role of a parent? Yes! <laughs> right? But, but I can turn out really good kids that aren't going to end up walking with the Lord because they don't love him. And he's not awesome to them. And I realized I have got to switch my priority. And so this is taking this first branch and it's putting it in the middle. So my first aim at parenting now is that my kids would know and walk with Jesus. And we're going to keep working on morals and ethics and behavior. But the first goal is that they would know God and love him supremely. Everything else is gonna work out for them if that's in place. I just talked to Steve in the back, and he said daily, he prays that for his grandkids, that they would know and follow Jesus every day of their lives. That's what we need to be aiming for. That's the first branch of discipleship, and it needs to be true in our own lives as well. So the question is, how do we come to know God? If this is supreme, and it was to Jesus, and it was supreme to Paul, if this is supreme, how do we come to know him more? And the answer is, it's a relationship. How do you get to know anybody more? You spend time together. And so, how do we do this? Um, we, I would say that we walk with Jesus, right? That's what the, the, the apostles used this language of walking with Jesus, because it was a daily thing. And you're making progress. You're going somewhere. You're walking with Jesus. So Colossians 2, 6 and 7 is one of our rooted and reaching passages. This is one of Trinity's foundational mission passages. And I want to read it to you. It's on the screens. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So here are some of the ways that I've learned to walk with Jesus. I didn't figure this out. Somebody taught me to do this. My parents taught me. My Sunday school teachers, mentors in my life taught me how to do this. Number one is we have to read the word of God. We have to be in God's word first with the primary goal, To know God. I want to come to the Word and I want to to see God's wisdom. I want to get answers for some of the problems that I that I have in my life. I'm looking for all of that. But supremely, I'm looking to know God. I can pick up the Word of God and any story that I read, any place in the history of what God's up to, I'm gonna see his character, I'm gonna see his goodness, I'm gonna see his plans. And I'm going to grow in my worship. So read the Bible first to know him. And we can look for all the other things in there. Prayer is the second thing. Prayer is actually a means of relying on God. As I come to know him, I'm going to cast my cares on him. I'm going to trust him with the stuff in my life. That could be stuff that I just need. I need God to work in this situation because I can't make this change. Could be something in my own life, it could be a sin issue, it could be just somebody, a loved one I care for. Prayer is how we learn to know God. And then lastly, the third way, a third way I've learned is to increase in my knowledge of God is through relationships with other believers. And that's significant through this gathering, right? Weekly we come here, with the church, we gather, we're in the word together, we're looking to God in worship together. And that is the second meaning of the fellowship. Right? We've been called into the fellowship. First and foremost, it's a relationship with God, but the fellowship has a sense of a relationship with God's people. And that's incredibly important. And that's part of the meaning that Paul has here especially writing to the church in Corinth who are having some problems with their fellowship, right? So we know that Paul's leaning, making them lean into that together. So while faith, this is in your notes, while faith involves an individual commitment, and it does, it is lived out, nurtured, and grows in community. That's another meaning of this call into the fellowship. So teaching his disciples in the upper room The day before he was crucified, Jesus elevated the importance of their love for one another. And this is the first of 10 passages we're going to look at these two weeks where Jesus uses the word disciple. And it's in this passage. So he elevates their relationship with each other. And he says this. He he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Three times, love one another, love one another, love one another. So the new, a new disciple of Jesus becomes part of the community of disciples, right? Who love God and we showcase God's love to the world by loving each other. Jesus says, this is critical for my mission, is that you love one another. So it is in this community where we come to know God more. So while faith involves this individual decision, this step into the kingdom, it is nurtured and it grows in the community of faith. And this is what the people in the first church are said to be devoted to, the fellowship in Acts, right? They they were meeting daily, and it says they were devoted to the fellowship. It was each other. Jesus called this community the church, and he prayed for our unity, getting back to John 17. Remember what's most important to Jesus? He prayed about it. And I want you to see this in John 17, verse 20. This one is in your notes. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, the gospel, that they may be one, all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the fellowship we're invited into Jesus says, just like I'm in you, Father, and you're in me, may they be in us. This is Jesus prayer for his church for the unity of his church. Today we're celebrating a call this call into the into the fellowship, specifically this branch that through which all other branches grow and one of the things we've done, over the last, actually it was a a group of people committed themselves over the last year and a half to look at the membership covenant that people in this church who say, I'm in. This is my home church. We have a membership covenant that we go through. You you go through a class. That's what Allison announced, the partnership class. You interview with an elder, and then you sign this covenant. And a lot of you have already done that And one of the things that they've done is they've looked at and they've refreshed that covenant to try to really get to what is the importance of this commitment that we make to one another to live in unity and in Christ together in community. That's what there is in that document. And today you're going to receive one on your way out just so you can see that commitment. Allison's going to share at the end of the service a little bit more information about what we're going to be doing on the plaza together. But summarizing what we've looked at, our first target is making disciples who love the Lord and his church. We love the Lord and we love his people. Not just the people that we would choose, the people he chooses and brings them into this fellowship together. And Beyond that, his church in the world. All nations, all tribes and tongues and languages. And this brings us to our second branch of discipleship. It is through this pursuit of God in the community of other disciples that a disciple begins to look like Jesus. And that's our second branch. Believers are called to be like Jesus. Jesus. We're going to look at the second, a second time that Jesus uses the word disciple in his teaching. This is from Luke chapter 6. He's in the middle of teaching them about do not judge, right? Do you remember the time where he talked about the log in your own eye? Take it out before you, before you try to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Well, before, right in the middle of that teaching, he says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. So discipleship is imitating Jesus. It's becoming like him. And the apostles, they got it. And they taught about this frequently because Jesus told them, you know how I've done this for you? Do this for one another, right? We just saw that. The way that I've loved you is the way you should love one another, and that's an example. So the apostles, Paul says in Romans eight, he says you've been called and predestined to be conformed, formed into the image of Christ. That's Paul saying this this is important as a disciple, you're being formed into the image of Christ. Paul in Ephesians is talking about the gifts of the body, and he says that you've been given these gifts so that the body might mature, it might grow up in every way. And he says it like this, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's us becoming like Jesus through doing life together and serving one another. Peter, talking about this, says to Christians, this is in your notes, 1 Peter 1, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy as I am holy. So Peter is saying, we are to be holy like Jesus is in the way that we live, our conduct. So it begs the question, how do I become holy like Jesus? If this is the second branch of discipleship, how does this happen in my life? I don't think it's going to catch you by surprise that it begins with knowing him. How am I going to be like Jesus if I don't know what Jesus is like? And so we get back to the very first branch. I was talking to Pastor Steve, Steve Springstead, about this message early in the week, and, and he reminded me about athletes. When an athlete has an interview and they're talking about, how did you get into this sport? Every one of them is going to talk about, I watched the sport when I was a kid, and this is my hero. My hero. Right, They're looking up to somebody and saying, I want to be like him or her. And that is exactly the same in our relationship with God. Knowing and loving God fuels our desire to become like him. That has to be our first pursuit, to know God. Imitation is a huge part of following Jesus. It is a huge part of discipleship, is imitating and becoming like Jesus. The second way is to obey his teaching, right? Obey his teaching. It's no coincidence that in the Great Commission, Jesus told his his disciples, go, make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Baptizing them. To indicate life change, forgiveness of sins. There's been a repentance and a turning to Jesus, that's baptism. What's the next thing? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So it's no coincidence that the teaching of God's commands is how we're told to grow as disciples and how to make disciples. So where do we find Jesus' teachings? In his word, right? Right? We, we come to a church that's bringing us to his word, right? We, we find Jesus' teachings in his word. We don't make them up, right? We come to God's word, which we learned last week is the gospel. It's, it's everything. We come to know Jesus, and we come to know his teachings through his word. So this is in your notes. Disciples pursue the teaching of Christ, the word of God, and then live a life of obedience to it. And if you remember back to the verse in John 14, do you remember how it started? Jesus, God, Jesus promises, God, we're going to come and we're going to dwell with believers. Do you remember how it started? He said, if anyone loves me, he will do what I've commanded. And so the heart posture of obedience is not trying to earn God's love. It's our opportunity to express our love to him. Obedience is simply a way to say, I love you. And I want my life to show that. That's what is meant by obedience. And that's our motivation for obedience. Jesus had a lot to say about this. In John 8, we have, this is the third one we're looking at of 10 where Jesus uses the word disciples. And this is what he says in John 8:31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So this is where true freedom and joy come from, from abiding in God's word. We're going to talk about this idea of abiding more next week it is significant, right? It's this idea of dwelling, of remaining, of being 100% attentive to God and his word, this idea of abiding. Jesus says, That's, if, you true, if you abide in me, my word, you're truly my disciples. And so we do that not only on our own, but we do that together, don't we? A bi- biblical word for this kind of growth that we're talking about in this branch is called sanctification. Did you, it was at the beginning of, of Paul's teaching today in 1 Corinthians. He says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, that's what God has done through the gospel. He's made us righteous. Right? He's given us his righteousness. But then he says, called to be saints which is the same word in a a noun form. We're called to be God's holy people. Look what Jesus said in his prayer, John 17, right? What's important to Jesus? He's gonna pray about it. He says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Over the last few decades, the church has called this process spiritual formation because it is being formed into the image of Christ by the holy spirit the holy spirit indwells us illuminates the scriptures to us and and so it's with god's word it's with god's people and it's the spirit of god sanctifying us it's through his truth and that is worth A whole sermon series of, okay, how does that happen? But the easy answer is it happens through God's word, the truth of of scripture, and it happens through a work of the Holy Spirit over time in our lives that we begin to live as God's holy people. This branch is most reflected in our core value about God's word. It's right here on the wall. The Bible is God's story given to transform you and to be the authority in your life. God's word. Are there areas in your life where you just feel like it's just not happening very well? Kind of stuck? I wish I looked more like Jesus, but I don't. I've had those kind of areas in my life. I have them now. Sometimes we get into these places where it's way beyond us. Some of it's because of our background, history, families we've grown up in. There are deep struggles with sinful or destructive behaviors. How do those things become to look like Jesus? I talked with my friend this week, Mike Saladin. Mike is a part of this church family. He's been part, he and his wife have been part of Trinity for decades. And he, has a ministry where he helps men who are struggling with addiction to to find Christ-likeness in those areas and to find victory. And he said this to me. He said, more often than not, the main thing these men need is not sobriety. They need community. They need the first branch When they pursue God and his truth with all their hearts in the community with other men who are doing the same thing, they find freedom. And the statistics are amazing. It's happening because they're paying attention to and they're committed to the first branch. Sobriety takes work, but it it becomes God's work. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? Because he is all powerful. So men are finding freedom from captivity by simply taking seriously the call of God into the fellowship, the pursuit of knowing God with other believers. And that's our first branch. So everything comes back to the trunk of the tree this pursuit of knowing God with other believers. So, I want to close with this uh, beautiful picture of transformation since this is our second branch. And this comes from Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians. Apparently, it took him a while to get things right. He had to write him two letters. And and I think we were in Corinthians and he wrote them four, right? But we have two of them in the scriptures. So, he's really working to help this church look more and more like Jesus. So, in his second letter that we have in the scriptures, he wrote this in chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? When we look to Jesus together... Right? When we all are beholding the glory of God, that's the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of the gospel. When we're beholding that, transformation happens. And do you notice who does the work? The Spirit. This is done by the Lord who is the Spirit. As a disciple looks to Jesus, together with other disciples, we begin to look like Jesus And we begin to reflect the beauty of his character, of his heart, and of his work in the world. The oak of righteousness is growing. And it's becoming more and more glorious. And it's bringing glory to God. Because what people are seeing isn't how impressive I look as a religious person. They're seeing the beauty of God's work in my life. Because we're gonna make sure we're always pointing to him. It's his work, not mine. And so our second branch leads us to this target. What are we aiming for at Trinity Church? Making disciples who look and live like Jesus. That's what we're aiming at. These two branches of discipleship are captured in one of our core values, and it's the second one on the wall we pursue spiritual growth and life change in community. That's where it happens. The vision that Pastor Doug gave us for this season of renewal reflects these first two branches of discipleship perfectly. Is this a God thing or what? Journeying together with Jesus is branch one. Toward transformation is branch two. Isn't that beautiful that God would prepare us for this day by setting that vision in place months ago? I think a year ago, maybe. I don't remember when Pastor Doug brought that to us. So coming back to the oak tree, and I think I was convicted, you guys, that I think there are many points where maybe God wants to speak to us today, and maybe he has. I think this is the most important one, is when you look at this oak tree, which is brand new, Hopefully it'll live. I pulled it out of the ground this morning. (laughs) What does it need? Let's assuming it's going to make it. How hard does this have to work to grow? I mean, look at that massive tree in Sylvan Park. How hard did that tree have to work to get that big? It's the environment that it's in. And so I believe for the Christian that our main job is to make sure we are in an environment where we can grow. It's not to work hard, although there is work. It's to put ourselves into that place of fellowship with God where we're, we're pursuing knowing Him more than anything else and to, and to place ourselves into His community, the church, where we're growing and we're in his word together. It's all about the environment and growth happens through the spirit, right? That's what what the apostle Paul said. So I just want to say a few things because we pointed back to some of earlier, I, I said, you know, the pandemic kind of showed that there's a pandemic in the evangelical church, right? I'm picking on the whole church, not just Trinity Church. I think one of those pandemics, you guys, is that people disconnected from community and not everybody's come back. And I, I'm grieved over that. We are grieved over that and we wanna do our best to help people who have disconnected to step back in, back into fellowship, back into worship, back into serving and doing ministry together. And I want to say that to people on the live stream. The live stream is, it's a wonderful gift so that you don't have to miss what God's doing, but it is no substitute for the fellowship that we've been called into. It has to be in person. And for those of you who may be shut in and you can't get here, then it's our responsibility to go to you and to bring that fellowship to you. So I want to, we want to call You back. If you're able, please come back. Worship with us. Fellowship with us. Serve God's people with us. Maybe for some of us today, our action point is to actually go after people. You know somebody like this, then why don't you go after them with love? Just say, come, be a part of my home group. Be a part of this Bible study. Come worship for some of you, it might be you're a young adult, and you're just like, I need to learn how to be in the Word. And you need to find one of the, your leaders, one of the older adults in this room, and say, teach me. And if we're older adults, we need to be going after these young people, showing them how to pursue God with all of our hearts the same way that somebody taught us. So being a, home group, a small group leader for our young adults, for our high schoolers, our middle schoolers, is a critical, critical role. I don't know how God's asking us to do it. But this environment, this tree will grow as long as its roots are deep in the soil of the gospel and as long as as it's in the right environment. So, God is faithful. We've been called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is with him and with the believers he has placed in our lives That we will experience steady growth toward living, looking, and living like Jesus. He's given us every gift by giving us one another. And He's given us His promises to sustain us all the way to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, do we have work to do? Absolutely. But it's the work of placing ourselves in this environment where we're pursuing knowing God through his word, through prayer, and in fellowship with other believers. And this is how the early church grew and it's how we're gonna keep growing at Trinity Church by walking with Jesus together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... um, I guess I'm just so full of emotion because I know how precious this community has been in my life and in my growth as a believer for the last 28 years. I thank you for the teachers who have poured into my life the word of God, for small group leaders, mentors, for people who I just watch living faithfully, for the gifts of God that you've given your people that are serving me and serving my wife and my kids. God, thank you for this precious gift that you've given of the church as a place where we come to know you, to experience your fellowship as well. I pray that you would help us today to take steps that we need to take to make sure we are in the right environment. And that may be a a repentance of environments that are dragging us away from it. And so, God, we repent, we confess those sins, those other things that pull us away from fellowship with you, fellowship with your people. God, we pray that you would transform us from one degree of glory to the next, that we might fully and beautifully reflect the character of Christ to our world. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.